Good morning. Welcome to Genesis. Uh, my name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at our Carmel location, and we are looking forward to family service next weekend and baptisms, so we hope to have you here as we celebrate that together. I want to say hello to our friends that are joining us online today. Thanks for tuning in with us. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. We started into this year-long study of the book of Acts about 12 weeks ago, and today we are going to be in Acts chapter 11, specifically focusing on verses 19 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We've got all the verses that you're going to need up here on the screen. But I want to begin by reading through these verses together, and then we're going to pray and jump in. So Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful that Luke recorded this portion of Acts chapter 11 for us, not just for us, but for the history of the church. There is something really special that happened in the church in Antioch, and I pray that today as we study this passage, Holy Spirit, you would help us to learn how to be like the people in the church of Antioch. So Holy Spirit, we invite you, we need you. Would you illuminate our hearts and our minds, and would you help all that we do to bring glory to Jesus as our King? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So Luke wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. And, and one of the reasons that the gospel, or I'm sorry, the book of Acts is so important to us as followers of Jesus is that it gives us a history of how the early church was formed, how it functioned, and how it grew after the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus' first disciples after his resurrection. And we, as we've gone through this series, we've gone back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 as a theme verse that kind of repeats this for us. It says this, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so from the very beginning, Jesus looks at his followers and says, this is the goal. I am sending you into the world to be my witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness reports on things that they have seen and they have heard. And then he spells out how it's going to happen. He says, it's going to start in Jerusalem, and it's going to move from there. And so I want to show you on a map, kind of how this took shape. You'll see the city of Jerusalem down there towards the bottom left-hand corner. And he says it's going to start in Jerusalem, but then it's going to go to the region of Judea, and then it's going to move to Samaria. And then Jesus says it's going to go, it's going to spread to the ends of the earth. And what is it? It's the message of the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins that can only be found through Jesus. And what we're going to see is it's going to begin to make its way to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus had predicted. That's what's been happening in the book of Acts so far. And I want you to imagine how exciting it must have been to be one of those early followers of Jesus, to be a part of a church movement like this, where the church was expanding rapidly. 
I think it was really exciting, but there were also some challenges. And today specifically, we're going to look at a mindset that was, well, it was taking place in the church. It had been around for a while, but this mindset wasn't unique to just them. This mindset is alive and well in 2023, and it has to do with two very specific groups of people. In this first group, we're going to think about over here, this is the group of people that is a lot like you. They think like you, they act like you, they dress like you. Thank God they vote like you so you know you're safe around them, right? And so what would we call these people? Well, we would call these people us, right? They make us feel comfortable. They are like us. We feel comfortable. But then if, if you've got us over here, who do you have over here? Yeah, everybody said them. Oh, and everybody, even the way you said it, you're like them. Those, them, they are gross. They are the worst they dress weird. They make me nervous. I'm happy for them to just kind of stay over, to stay over there where they are, right? Because them, ugh, right? Now, I don't think I have to convince you that us versus them, it wasn't just a problem. Then it's, it's a problem today. Think back through the last few years, and you understand how us versus them plays out, right? Like, let's just, let's just imagine that there's those of us that think Chipotle is best, and then them, they're like, well, Qdoba or Moe's, like gross, right? Us versus them. Some of us think Dr. Pepper's better. Some say, no, Mr. Pibb. Well, you go, in the, you go in the them category because you got it wrong, right? Or here's one, us, we, we're in Carmel, them, they, they are over in Noblesville. Or here's one, here's, I think this one, I think everybody will get this one. Us are those of us that cheer for IU and them have a team that, well, they're a little hurt this year. They're sad, right? Right Now, first service, I got like an angry response. That's us versus them. That's what it does to us, right? Like I know a guy in this room that wants to take my head off because of that analogy. Us versus them. It's a very real thing. And here's what I want you to think about. We like to put people in buckets like this. But let's be honest. Us versus them isn't just buckets. Us versus them feels a little more like this, doesn't it? It's the good guys and it's the bad guys. Us we know where we're going because, well, we're good, and then, well, they're going to get what they deserve at some point in the future. But here's what we need to see about this us versus them mentality. It's sad, and it's sinful. It is not the way that God has ever encouraged or wanted life to work. And we let us versus them allows really petty boundaries and barriers to separate us. Our socioeconomic status, the way we dress, our age, the color of our skin. That is not the way that God ever intended for things to work, but this us versus them mentality is prevalent throughout the Old Testament because the Jews would say, well, we're God's chosen people. He told us that, and everybody else is in the them category. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I'm not Jewish. So based on Old Testament law, I'm over here just because I, I'm not following that law. I'm unclean before God. So what would it take for somebody to jump from them to us? Well, you had to obey the Old Testament law. And there were, it kind of broke down to two main things. If you wanted to become Jewish, to be clean in God's sight, the first one, no biggie, guys. You just had to be circumcised, right? Can you imagine being 20, 30, or 40 years old? Like, hey, I want to follow God. Well, you need to be circumcised. Ah, we might want to pump the brakes there a little bit. Maybe there's a different way. But it wasn't just that. There are dietary restrictions, so, hey, by the way, if you want to, like, know God, you can't have hot dogs and pulled pork and bacon. So, as you can imagine, like, people were like, ah, I don't know. Maybe I'll check this thing out a little bit. But there were serious, there were serious cultural divides 
this us and them thing playing out in Judaism, and it had made its way into the early church. And what we're going to see today is that this is something that Jesus didn't want to be a part of his church. And so today we're going to see how Jesus has encouraged his followers to say, no, 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 we don't think in terms of us versus them. We are for everyone. We want everyone to know who Jesus is so they can be forgiven and, and united in their faith in God. And what we're going to see is the further we get into the book of Acts, when Jesus said the message of the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth, it's going to have to shatter this type of mindset. Now, I'm a big U2 fan, and they have a lyric in one of their songs that I think sums this up perfectly. They say, there is no them, there's only us. That's the way this is supposed to work in the context of the church. We are all equal through faith in Jesus. And today in Acts chapter 11, we're going to see an anonymous group of Jewish Christians shatter this mindset. They're going to go and do something that they didn't know if they should do it or not do it. They just, they just did it. So here's what I want you to see. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. This is how it begins. Now, for those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So Luke begins by referring back to something he's already told us about. This happened in Acts chapter 7 when a Jewish man named Stephen was publicly executed for his faith in Jesus. But here's what's interesting about his story. He was a Jewish follower of Jesus, and the Jewish religious leaders put him to death because they didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. Stephen died because of us versus them. And then in Acts chapter 8, we learn that a severe persecution broke out among the church, and people were scattered. They were chased out of their homes and out of their homelands. And Luke tells us here in Acts 11 that they were scattered to a variety of different places. So let's look back at this map. So in uh, Acts chapter 7, they're in Jerusalem, but they start to move towards Phoenicia, which is that region heading to the north. Luke here tells us that they, people from Cyprus and Phoenicia, they went up towards Antioch. And I want you to pay attention to this, this little city over here. Um, at the, it's kind of like northern Africa, Cyrene. It's going to factor into this story in just a little bit. But here's, what, here's why all of that matters. These people are scattered from Jerusalem. They're on the run because of their faith in Jesus. And here's what we learn. They're scattered to all these different places. And we learn that they land in Antioch. And it says at the end of 19, they were spreading the word only among Jews. Now, why would they do that? Well, they were Jewish Christians. And this is how they operated, us versus them. So when we go to a new city, we only talk to people that are like us. But I want you to pay attention to what happens in verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. Now, that phrase Greeks just tells us this is Jewish followers of Jesus talking to Greeks, talking to non-Jewish followers of Jesus. They were pushing past this barrier, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't think we can fully understand how important this detail is, but it's so important that Luke starts to give us details. They didn't show up in the city and say, uh, I can talk to you, but I can't talk to you. They just started talking to anyone they came in contact with about their faith in Jesus. They were getting rid of this mindset and they were having an us for them lifestyle. And again, if you've been around church for a while, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're thinking, we're supposed to share our faith with anybody and everybody. Well, we know that, but this was a big deal in the early church. And remember, last week in Acts chapter 10, we learned that Jesus himself appeared to Peter in a vision three times and said, Peter, I want you to go 
you're going to go to a, uh, you're going to go and you're going to share your faith with a Gentile man named Cornelius. Jesus had to appear to him in a vision and say, it is okay for you to do that. But now in Acts chapter 11, we have this unnamed group of Jewish Christians that are going to go and they're going to do the very same thing without anyone telling them to. So focus in on the city of Antioch. Let's go back to this map. I want you to see. So Antioch's up there in the upper left-hand corner. It's about 300 miles to the north of Jerusalem. That's like the distance between here and Nashville, Tennessee. But here's why Antioch was so important. It was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman Empire. It had a population of about a half million people. It was known as the Queen of the East. It was the capital of Syria, and it was a major military outpost for the Roman Empire. Uh, It served as a major crossroads. There were major trade routes in Antioch. You can see it's close to the shore. There were people, it was wildly diverse. There were people from all over the world in Antioch, which meant they also brought a variety of beliefs with them. There were all kind of religions that you could be a part of and different gods that you could worship in Antioch. Antioch was referred to by some as the abode of the gods because you could go and you could worship Zeus and Apollos and Poseidon and Artemis. So that's kind of a picture of what Antioch would look like. But on top of that, it also had, it had a reputation for chariot racing and a rampant pursuit of immorality. Now, I want you to think of some cities today in the United States that are known for business, big business, and gambling, and all the things, and, and like a city where you're like, I don't know that I want to go there, right? Like there's probably a city that comes to your mind. Needless to say, what, stayed, what happened in Antioch would stay in Antioch, right? But we think of places like, oh, Miami or Vegas or, oh, there's so much wrong there. But let's be honest, isn't that true in Indianapolis as well? Maybe more so than we would care to admit. We just want to turn a blind eye. Well, here's what we see. We have this unnamed group of followers of Jesus heading into a city in Antioch where you might like, why would you go there? And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's exactly where I want you to go. I want you to be my representatives there. And while they were there, they began to share their faith with people that were not Jewish. And look at what happened. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them in this depraved city. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now that phrase, the Lord's hand, comes up a lot in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when you see the word Lord, a lot of times it refers to Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. Yahweh is the God that the Israelites, the Jews, uh, would worship. But in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, when you see the phrase the Lord, it's referring to Jesus specifically. So when it says the hand of the Lord was present in Antioch, the hand of Jesus was with his people as they showed up and began to speak to him. But referring to Jesus as Lord would not have been popular because all the other gods would have been referred to as Lord. Gods like Apollos and others, but also Caesar himself would have been called Lord. So to say Jesus is Lord is kind of a good way to get yourself in trouble. It would not have been very popular. But when these Christians say, hey, We're here to represent the Lord Jesus. They're saying, we believe he is God. We believe he's the one true God. He is God in the flesh. And they started inviting people to know who he was. But you'll also notice it says, uh, the hand of the Lord was with them, and many of them believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is significant. These Jewish followers of Jesus show up in this pagan city. They begin telling people about the Lord Jesus, and people believed and turned to him. 
So they believed in what they said, but they turned to the Lord Jesus. Now that word turned in the New Testament, it's a word that we would refer to as repent or repentance. And repentance just means a change of mind or direction. Throughout scripture, when we see the word repentance used, it means someone had, this person had regret or remorse for their sinfulness against God. They're not just mad that they're a bad person. They realize I have sinned against God and I am going to turn back to him. That's what was happening in Antioch. When the name of Jesus was declared, people were responding to him in repentance. They were finding their way back to God through a relationship with Jesus. And they were experiencing the goodness of the new life that he had for them. And so here in Acts 11, Luke is telling us that the message of Jesus had arrived in this posh city of Antioch. And people not only believed, but they turned to him for forgiveness of sins. The presence of Jesus was alive and well in Antioch and lives were being changed. People were turning to Jesus and their marriages were being restored. They had a different view of marriage now. They began to parent their children differently. differently. Relationships were being healed addictions were being broken and long-standing racial tension was beginning to erode and it started with the church that Jesus had started there. The power of the gospel of Jesus was on full display in Antioch. I like how Ken Hughes describes this. He said, these unnamed anonymous Jewish believers from Cyprus and Cyrene had no official direction They had no human instruction, no precedent to follow, nothing but a burning love for Jesus. And they took the message of Jesus to Antioch without realizing the revolutionary greatness of their act. Now, why were these followers of Jesus from Cyprus and Cyrene and all over, why were they in Antioch? They were there because they were being persecuted. They were being hunted down to be killed. But when they came to Antioch, you know what they didn't say? They didn't say, run for your life. Their message was Jesus is alive. He died for your sins. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to help restore your relationship back to God. You know how we should be comforted by this? These were normal, everyday people. We do not know any of their names. They weren't the original disciples. They're not referred to as apostles. They're just unnamed people living out their faith in Jesus in ways that had never been lived out before. And apparently it was a big deal. Because what happened in Antioch made its way back to headquarters in Jerusalem. Look at verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So this is a 300-mile distance from Antioch to Jerusalem, from here in Indianapolis to Nashville. How long, when, when you don't have planes and cars and all those things, you don't have social media, how long does it take for news to travel that far? I'm going to guess it took a while. So things were developing for a bit. And the church in Jerusalem says, hey, we should send somebody up there. And that's going to take a while for them to get up there. And they choose this man named Barnabas. Now, if Barnabas sounds familiar, he's been mentioned in the New Testament twice up to this point in time. But the first time he's mentioned is in Acts chapter 4. And I want you to pay attention to what Luke tells us about this man named Barnabas. Acts 4.36 says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Let's just stop there. So he's got two names, Joseph and Barnabas. We learn that he's a Levite, meaning he's Jewish and he's from Cyprus. Now remember the people that arrived in Antioch that were were sharing the name of Jesus, regardless of the color of your skin, they were also from Cyprus. So I think the leaders of the church in Jerusalem said, hey, Barnabas, these are your people. 
will you go back and see what's going on? Will you report back to us? But we also learn his son, his name means son of encouragement. And in Acts 4, he sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So he's an encourager. He's generous. He's from Cyprus. He's a Jew. He's the perfect guy to send on this mission. And so he goes and look at what happens when he, when he showed up. In verse 22, when Barnabas arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. What did Barnabas see when he arrived in the pagan city of Antioch? He saw what the grace of God had, had done. Wouldn't it be a bummer if it said that when he arrived, he saw Christians, followers of Jesus, fighting because of the color of their skin? That would have been super disappointing. Wouldn't it have been, wouldn't it have been just like awful if he had saw rigid legalism, where they were like, hey, you do this and you don't do that, and please, whatever you do, don't screw this up. Barnabas didn't see shallow faith. He didn't see an efficiently run church office. He just saw the grace of God on display, and that's all Luke tells us. We don't know what the grace of God looked like in Antioch, but let's, let's imagine. What do you think it looked like? I'm going to guess it looked like other things that we had seen up to this point in time. Community where people were sharing their lives and their resources together. I'm going to guess the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit were on display. People were living with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And people on the outside were like, that is different. I want, I want to learn more. Maybe there were miraculous signs being done. We don't know. That had happened elsewhere in Acts. But I guarantee you the one thing that Barnabas saw, given the context of chapter 10 and chapter 11 in the book of Acts, Barnabas didn't see this. He didn't see us and he didn't see them. He saw people that were for people on the outside. People saying, God has come for you. Come and join us. And again, in a lot of ways, Barnabas was the perfect guy. He was an encourager. He was from Cyprus. Let's look at those two verses again, 23 and 24 together. We learn this. When Barnabas arrived, he saw the grace of God what the grace of God had done. He was glad and he encouraged them. Hold on to that thought. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Parentheses, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. When Barnabas showed up, he knew that good theology was important for the church to thrive. They had to know who Jesus was, but he also encouraged them. I, if I'm Barnabas, I'm like, this is incredible. We've never seen this before. Keep doing what you're doing. I think he was living out Hebrews 10, 24 that says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He didn't show up and say, hey, I'm the new sheriff in town and this is how you do what you do. He encouraged them. And verse 23 tells us, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now here's what that means. It doesn't mean that he showed up and said, hey, I'm not real sure about all this, so please don't mess this up because I don't want to have to come back here again. I think what he was saying is, hey, this is amazing. This doesn't exist. Keep, we need more of this. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and with one another and keep inviting other people to join us in. Um, I love how one commentator said it. Barnabas's message was something to the effect of the same grace of God that has saved you is the same grace that will keep you with him. Now you just obey and you continue to follow and invite people to do the same. And apparently 
Barnabas and his encouragement and oversight worked because for the second time in the book of Acts, we learn that the church was experiencing explosive growth. Uh, A great number of people were brought to the Lord, which means there was a lot of ministry work to be done in and throughout the city of Antioch. Now, if you're Barnabas and you need help with all the work of ministry and you're from headquarters, what would you do? You have a decision to make. And if you've ever worked for headquarters before, have you ever been like, man, if I call headquarters, they're probably just going to screw this up. This is new. This is good. We need to grow in this market. If I go there, this, eh. I don't know if Barnabas thought that, but he did something different. He didn't go back to Jerusalem. Look at what he does. Verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now, here's why this is significant. This guy, Saul, was mentioned for the first time in Acts chapter 7. He's the guy that oversaw the public execution of Stephen. He's the guy in Acts chapter 8 that was breathing out murderous threats against followers of Jesus. But in Acts chapter 9, we talked about this on Easter, he met the resurrected Jesus. He knew that Jesus was Lord of all. He became a follower of Jesus. But here's a fun fact that I learned this week as I was preparing. Between Acts chapter 9... In Acts chapter 11, 10 years go by in the history of the church. For 10 years, all we know is that Saul went back to his hometown of Tarsus and began to somehow live out his faith. Go read Galatians 1 and 2, and Saul himself maps out that period of time in his life. But Barnabas remembers Saul. And he's like, I'm going to go to Tarsus, and I'm going to find him. They were friends. They knew each other back in Acts chapter 9. And here when it says that he went looking for Saul, the word means hunted. He was looking specifically for Saul. He invites him to come to Antioch and they teach together for a year. And here's why that matters so much. It's going to change the direction of the book of Acts because Saul and Barnabas become the greatest missionary team of all time. They're going to go on several missionary journeys. They're going to start, take what starts in Antioch and take it all throughout the Roman Empire. And it all began with this mission in Antioch where they taught for a year. But here's what I want you to see. There's one other thing in Acts 25, or I'm sorry, 26, that's taking place in the middle of all that. Acts 26 ends this way. It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now this is really significant in the life of the church. Because up to this point in the book of Acts, followers of Jesus have had a lot of different names. They've had the disciples, the saints, Believers, brothers and sisters, followers of the way, what sounds very Mandalorian, right? They've been called all these different things, but now in Antioch, for the very first time, they're called Christians. Now, we use the word Christian a lot. We have Christian radio and Christian bookstores, and thanks to Chick-fil-A, we have Christian chicken, and it's superior, right? If you think otherwise, you're over there. We use the word Christian so frequently, but the word Christian is used three times in the book, uh, in the New Testament. Once in Acts 11, once in Acts 26, and once in 1 Peter 4. And here's why that matters. The Greek word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. In the Latin suffix I-A-N means belonging to the party of. So if you were tagged as a Christian, you belong to the party of the Messiah, which tells us that the Jews did not give Christians their name. Because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. There's no way they're going to say you're with the party of the Messiah. Which means, as the Christians arrived in Antioch, these people were watching and saying, these people are different. 
they live like the person that they claim to follow. They're with the party of the Messiah. And as these new Jesus people lived out their faith, they didn't operate with an us versus them mentality. They loved one another in ways that were radically different from everyone else in Antioch. They cared for other people. Didn't matter if you were us or them. They worshiped Jesus as the one true God, not a bunch of different gods. They began to view the purpose of marriage and parenting and finances and generosity, not on how they felt, but what the church did in response to Jesus' generosity to them. And you know what else they did? They didn't act like the rest of the world around them. The rest of the world around them had all these pagan festivals and all these other gods, and they were like, hmm, I guess I don't do that anymore. I'm following someone else. In other words, these Jesus people, these Christians, were learning to show the rest of the world in Antioch a beautifully different way to live of how they could find their way back to God through faith in Jesus alone. They wanted the people of Antioch to know, we are here for you. We have come to serve you so you can know him. Now, many scholars believe that the word Christian was initially used as an insult. It wasn't a nice thing. But as the, as the people started to watch, these Christians, they lived out their faith in a way that was real. They were representing the characteristics of the one that they claim to follow. So whether it was an insult or not, the results in Antioch spoke for themselves. And we mentioned this earlier, but on two occasions, Luke tells us that the church experienced explosive growth in Antioch. Look at these two verses. Verse 21 says, A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. We talked about believing and repentance. Verse 24, A great number of people were brought to the Lord. This tells us that there was a pattern that was taking place. As people believed, they turned. And as people turned to Jesus in faith, other people were drawn to Jesus. And they would believe and they would turn and other people would be brought to the Lord. The church was exploding in growth in an unexpected way. And it's exciting. Now, I don't know about you. I'm going to guess you're like me. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church where we're a collection of broken people. And we all say, I don't have this together. I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. I don't bring anything to the table. I want to be a part of a church family that gets to see the hand of God at work. Yeah, when we're here on Sundays, but more importantly, when we're out living our lives connected to one another and, and sharing the name of Jesus everywhere we go. I want to be a part of a church family that's known for putting the grace of God on display that looks at these buckets and says, get out of here. There is no them. There's only us. We are for you. We want to help you know Jesus the way that we do. And I want to be a part of a church family that gets to see this, the church exploding, where we have to plant churches and campuses because we can't house all the people that are curious about Jesus. I want to be a part of a church family where there are groups meeting throughout the course of the week that feel and look like the church. They share communion together. They sell their possessions. They take care of one another. If you're on the fringe and you're not experiencing that, there's parts of that that take place at Genesis, and I just want to invite you to step in, whether it's serving on a Sunday, being part of a group during the week, but most importantly, it is carrying the message of Jesus with you everywhere you go. Here's an interesting fact about Acts 11. Saul and Barnabas taught for a year while they were there. They did formal preaching. They stood up in front of people, I'm guessing like this, and they spoke and they shared theology. Formal preaching is important. But you know what I think is more important? Informal preaching. 
informal preaching is the way you live your life so that when other people see, they say, tell me more about that. You have peace that I don't have. Why do you love people that are not like you? We are all called to informal preaching. You have so much more influence than I have right now on this stage. Let's go by the power of the Holy Spirit and share the name of Jesus just like he was shared in the city of Antioch. So where do you find yourself in Acts 11? We're all in here somewhere. And regardless of where you are, I think there's two simple ways that we can respond and it's gonna come straight from the scripture. The first is if you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna encourage you the way Barnabas encouraged them, remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. Don't make your time with him about, it's a time and a place where I check a box and I move on. Get to know Jesus, listen for his voice, pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance, remain true to the Lord and live your faith out formally and informally. But if you're on the fringe, if you've been investigating, we're gonna celebrate baptisms next weekend. Baptism does not save you, but it is a powerful representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I wanna, I wanna encourage you to respond by believing and turning to the Lord. I look out across this crowd and I know so many of you, and you would be right there with me. You would admit, I am a sinner. I am in need of God's grace. I am trusting in Jesus to do what only he can do. And I, I have received his Holy Spirit and he is changing my life. If you're on the outside looking in, that's how that looks. You admit that you've screwed things up with God. You rest in what Jesus has done and you let him do the rest. You respond in obedience and in faith. If you think that you can figure things out on your own, you're on your own. Jesus has come so we don't have to. So I wanna invite you to respond today as you leave today to carry his name on your lips. Or maybe it's time for you to turn your life over to him today. Maybe you need prayer. I wanna invite you to come forward after service, but let's go live like the followers in Antioch. Let's see if God could use us, not let's see. He can, he wants to. He wants to use us to turn the world upside down. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful that this chapter of scripture has been recorded for us. I have enjoyed learning about the church in Antioch. I want our church family to look like the church in Antioch where we don't look at the color of someone's skins. We don't look at economic status. We don't look at anything. We just say, hey, it's all about Jesus. Let's follow him together. Holy Spirit, would you sweep through our church family, your church all over the world to be more like the church of Antioch, united around Jesus, led by the Spirit, generous, faithful, and to share your name everywhere we go, formally and informally. Holy Spirit, if there's anyone here that has not yet responded, would you say their name in a crystal clear way and would you draw them forward for your glory, not for ours? If there's anyone that is standing on the fence, would you invite them to confess their faith in Jesus, to be baptized into him and to begin a brand new life? Jesus, we lift everything that we do up to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.